I dare not speak without first asking for permission from the elders. I also humble myself at the honorable mention of those who have fought and or died for the liberation of African people, whether on the continent or in the diaspora. Realizing that at this present moment in time, we need them more than we ever have before. And I am not ashamed of the contributions that they have made. So I call on them. John Henry Clark, Dr. Ben, Queen Ashantiwa. If you are not ashamed of what they have done for you, then call on them. Khalil Muhammad, Malcolm X, Nat Turner. If you are in need of the power and strength that they possess, then call on them. Ferguson, Denmark, VC, Gabriel Welcome family, welcome. Glad to be with you on this Monday, May 2nd, 2022. This is Kimasi Lives, your host, Ayo Kimasi. I uh, want to remind everybody, the phone number you can call us in, 205-730-1400 or 205-417-7552. Again, that's 205-730-1400 or 205-417-7552. You're tuned in to WSYP Sankofa Radio 95.1. Uh, locally... <clears throat> Existing and coming out and streaming out of Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, but of course we know streaming live through the World Wide Web throughout the world. Thank you for tuning in. We have a fantastic program today. I think you're going to really, really enjoy it. And I want everybody out there to be mindful. Please support WSYP Sankofa Radio. 95.1 FM is one of the few uncensored, real open First Amendment forums for black thought and truth that's occurring around the world uh, that you can get on a regular basis, different people each day with the kind of information that you can get here that you can't get anywhere else. Most other places are censored and you got to go underground to try to find this type of information and you can just turn right on the World Wide Web and get this information on a regular basis all day, every day. Please support, make your contributions. The radio uh, station could really use that support so that they can even expand this even broader than it is today. So thank you for that support. Uh, And without any further ado, I'm going to tell you about what we're going to do. We have a phenomenal young brother on today. I'm talking about, I don't know if you remember, but some of y'all old enough to remember this term or you heard your, your fathers or your grandfathers use this term, your grandparents. We used to have something called a renaissance man. What's a renaissance man? A renaissance man was a man, you say, well, what does he do? Well, you say, well, where do you want me to start? I mean, you know, is he in real estate? Uh, does, he, does he manufacture cars? Does he, does he uh, in construction? Um, does he, you know, uh, does he own uh, buildings and facilities? But, you know, we have a brother here that is so multi-talented and multifaceted. Uh, you got to be careful because his resume starts uh, um, breeding greenery inside of the envious person, you know. I mean, we have a very, very outstanding young man that's going to come talk. And so outstanding, in fact, we're going to talk today about his company called Kui Land Productions, where he does tours to East Africa. So we're talking about a tour where you actually get to go to three countries. You get to go to Uganda. Kenya, and Tanzania, all in one tour, 17-day tour, uh, $39.99 per person, double occupancy. This will be on October 7th through October 23rd, 2022. Again, Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda, 17-day tour. I mean, and it's really the cultural tour of a lifetime. Of course, you see the animals and all that stuff, but what about Didan Kimasi? What about the great rich history of the Kikuyu? What about... 
the Batwa in uh, 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 and the, the Bagandans in uh, Uganda. You know, what about Tanzania and Count, Mount Kilimanjaro? These are things you get to experience. And this young man does this tour every year. I've actually gone to Africa with him and seen him um, and what he does. A very responsible, brilliant tour. Anybody that's interested in culture, having a good time, being around black people and seeing them do wonderful things. I mean, it's just a fantastic tour. So uh, without any further ado, I want to bring on our brother, brilliant scholar, uh, <clears throat> and again, a renaissance man of our time, Brother Amos. How you doing, brother? BB for ODA. Brother Jeannie, how you doing? How you doing? BB for ODA. Yes, sir. Yes, so, sir, brother, I want to thank, you. I want to thank you for, uh, for, for, for bringing me on. Uh, I want to say thank you to you uh, and also to Stakeholder Radio uh, for giving me, giving me the opportunity to uh, share some information with your listeners. Sure. So let's jump right in it. Tell us what made you start going to Africa and how you got to the point where you're doing your tour now. All right. So initially, my first trip to Africa uh, was with the great historian and griot, Ashra Kwesi, uh, on his Kim and Nuno Thy Self Educational Tour. Uh, this is about a decade ago, back in 2012. And on that first trip, um, my eyes were open to many things based around now value culture and civilization. Uh, one of the things that uh, Brother Kwesi taught all of us is the connection of Kemet to inner Africa. And a lot of the African-centered scholars uh, push this. And this is something that you won't really find written in books uh, presented by European and white scholars. Uh, so Brother Kwesi, he did an excellent job of showing us how everything that we see in Kemet, the greatness of Kemet and what's called Egypt today, and how it came from inner Africa deep down the now uh, in, in what's called the Kuli land. Uh, so that primarily gave me the motivation to continue to travel to the African continent and try to shine a light on that history uh, that's often overlooked or not understood by many of our people. Fantastic, fantastic. Now let me just uh, comment on what you said, and you can jump in here because you and I have been together to Uganda and Kenya. So um, when I say this, it goes directly to the point that you make. <clears throat> I did not realize, you know, when we say that, you know, some of the armies used to come out of the south, we always think Sudan uh, and ancient Kemet. You know, they came up from the south, we think Sudan. But I remember I was in uh, Uganda, and everything I looked around and saw, everybody's name. Even some of the groups, the Kabale, which is really Kabara, all had comedic names. Like everybody, the Bagandans. I said Bagana, Ba, the Ba, the Banyankole, Imyankole, Imyankole, Banyankole, Ba, the soul, the weed. And we started noticing everything we did, every name, every title, every store, and everything. It was Ba, Ka, Ra, Sa. Even the, the, the head of the Bagandan uh, in, in, in Baganda is the Kabaka. So we like, that was the king, the leader for over 700 years. So we said, this is all goes back to Kemet, and it dawned on me when I found out that Idi Amin was a Nubian, that perhaps when we think of the link between Sudan and, and, and ancient Kemet, we, we, we miss the fact that, like you said, it comes from deep down the interior with the Batwa, even the Batwa, Batwa. These are all words that we know from Kemet, but that we don't connect to the interior of Africa. Could you speak to that? Well, it definitely is, is a linguistic connection uh, amongst multi-African languages, and this is something that Sheikh Jump demonstrated in, in much of his work. Uh, we even have modern linguists today uh, who also demonstrate uh, the connection of those languages. Uh, but just even with the language connection, I mean, you can just look at basic things in the interior of Africa that were replicated in Kemet, starting with things like the papyrus plant. So we look at the, the temples in Kemet and you see the papyrus plant, or if you go to uh, the Step Pyramid and you walk through that hall uh, with the papyrus column, those papyrus plants are 
in inner Africa, in the papyrus swamp, in places like Uganda, in places like Kenya. Uh, when you look at the, the animals that you see, all of the other aspects of nature that you see represented in Kemet, you'll find those same things live today inside of inner Africa. So you can see a visualization of what our ancestors were replicating throughout their language system from their viewpoint of looking at the aspects of nature, you can see it in person when you go to uh, the Kuli land on Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. So tell us a little bit about your your, your East African uh, Kuli land productions tour. What is a person that's interested in coming out to this tour? What should they expect to get? So you can expect to get, and I, I just want to start this off, uh, just by saying uh, that some of the things that we cover on this tour in regards to the study of human origins, where did man and woman come from? You know, many people have an idea of this either through two ways, either through a religious viewpoint or a scientific viewpoint. Uh, so coming on this tour, what we try to do is give the history and show the evidence based around the origin of life and the origin of man as it began on the African continent. From a cultural perspective, being able to interact with your brothers and sisters on the continent now in places like Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda, being able to interact with the Kikuyu, with the Maasai, with the Hadza, different people, different peoples throughout these regions. Also, as you stated earlier in Uganda, being able to sit down with the Batwa and actually speak to these different groups and learn their viewpoints and how they view and see the world um, is a priceless opportunity. Much of what we get either off of television or from a book, uh, primarily when you actually have a chance to go back and get it directly from the source, it is a much greater experience and you'll be able to gain vast knowledge. Uh, just the last time me and you were there, we had to, we had the opportunity to sit down with one of the members of the <clears throat> Indian Land of Freedom Association, or what's called by many others as the Mau Mau. And this is one of the brothers who actually took the oath to become a member of the Mau Mau. And he was able to share his experience with us and what he went through and what they went through in fighting for the liberation of African people right there in Kenya. And, uh, you know, this is primarily important because, you know, that story is oftentimes overlooked, especially when it comes to the great ancestor, Didan Kamathi, because of how the rest of the world viewed him in their eyes as a terrorist, as the Khalid Abdul Muhammad, the great ancestor said, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. So right there in Kenya, they pay homage to Dina Akamati today as being one of the great leaders of the Mau Mau. But there was one time where, you know, the Kenyan government overlooked him uh, during the time of Joma Kenyatta and many administrations that came after him. It wasn't until the 2000s where they really started to really resurrect this brother's spirit uh, by, you know, erecting statues in his name. Uh, and, and things like that. So, you know, we go back to, to, to learn these things because it is it important due to the effect that he had not only had on uh, liberation and empowerment in Kenya, but across the African continent. What he did sent shockwaves through the rest of the African continent and the rest of the world by providing resistance and fighting against the European. He struck fear in the colonial world in making them think twice about this same type of resistance potentially happening in, in other African countries, which led to other African countries also gaining their independence. Mm. So basically what you're saying is that people won't only be getting a tour, uh, you know, people, because I'm sure you're going to talk about the, the animals and, and, and the safaris and those things like that. But you're saying there's an actual cultural and historical experience 
for anybody that comes on this tour? Anybody that comes on this tour is going to get not only, as you stated, the historical, but yes, the cultural aspect. You get in the history from yesterday, you get in the cultural aspect of interaction today, and you're able to tie those things together, uh, which is what, this is what, you know, Garvey wanted us to do in, in regards to repatriation, not only going back to Africa and living there, but for those, who, uh, for those of us who are not able to actually move back to the continent, being able to also generate and build strong relationships with brothers and sisters that are on the continent so that we can move closer towards African liberation. So when you come on this tour, you're going to get that cultural aspect from a historical perspective, you're going to be able to see up close in person the connection of inner Africa to now Valley civilization and how what happened in inner Africa led to the great achievements and and the different things that our ancestors were able to produce and give to the rest of the world. So when you go back to a place like Kenya, you start in Kenya, you're talking about the country that has the widest and vast amount of human fossils that have ever been found anywhere on the planet Earth. And this is not something that Europeans have always focused on. You know, a lot of people don't want to deal with what Europeans define as anthropology. We're going to get into, you know, some of these terms. But a lot of people don't want to deal with anthropology because we have this idea and concept in our mind that it's racist. We don't want to say that, you know, we have anything to do with coming from an ape or an ancestor being an ape. So many of us have a problem with this science. So many of us will call it white science. And the science itself is not white science. Firstly, I like to say this, there's no such thing as white science. What you have is science that is wrapped inside of European culture, language, and their understanding. And then they take that and they give it to the rest of the world. So you have a foundational science that Europeans then curate, and then they go out and feed the rest of the world their ideas, their terminology, and everybody else accepts those things and, 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 and continues to push it based on their original viewpoint. And this is where, as a African person, we have to come in and we have to evaluate things and we have to re reshape these things and correct a lot of the terminology the cultural viewpoints and add our outlook to how these things are viewed. The Europeans are the youngest people on the planet. So when we look at origins of humanity, we can trace the European back to around 8,000 years ago. There's actually a gene that scientists found. And then you can go look this up. This is a European study. They found that there's a gene that produces pale skin and blue eyes, a couple of genes. One is called SLC24A5 and SLC45A2. Those genes did not appear in history until about 7,700 years ago. Now, I'm not talking about light skin because, you know, we have a lot of African brothers and sisters that are light skin. I'm talking about specifically the gene that produces pale skin. So we're talking about the European and the Asian. So anything prior to 8,000 years ago, we have to know that you're dealing with a dark-skinned, pigmented, melanated person or an African person. That's the first thing. So the second... The second no, go. Shoot, shoot, shoot. This is great. No, the second thing that we have to understand is that when we look at the origins of the African, the origins of the African can only be traced back to their latest findings or their latest dig. So, for example, many years ago, they said that the oldest man 
or as they classify Homo sapiens, was Homo man one, which is found near the Homo River in Ethiopia. And they dated Homo man one to 100, to 195,000 years. This was the standing point for Homo man one. And what many people don't know is that Homo man one was actually found by an African paleontologist named Kamoya Kamau, who was from Kenya. Later, they found human remains in Morocco, and they dated those remains to 300,000 years. This, this was just about 10 to 11 years ago when they brought this forth. So they're continuing to find different human remains throughout the African continent, and they're pushing the date further back. When they originally dated Omo Man 1 to 195,000 years, recently, just two years ago, they updated that date to 230,000 years. So as you, now, as you, as you have heard, uh, you know, Brother Ashra Quaze and many other scholars say that the Europeans don't know our birth record, they're continuing to push out the African man and woman's birth record back based on the fossils that they find and the way these fossils are dated. Now, look, let me ask you a question. So, how does this play in with Degnesh, who's over 2 million years old? I'm trying to understand how, how do we measure those against one another. So, when you look at Degnesh, when they do classifications of different species, they classify Degnesh, who the Europeans call Lucy, which was found in Ethiopia. It's about 3.4 million years old. They classify Dignesh under Australopithecus afarensis. So essentially, Australopithecus afarensis is one of the oldest, most recent common ancestors. And it was an important fossil find because it was the actual gap or the link between your modern, what they classify as Homo sapiens, to was classified earlier as an ape, okay? Dignesh was a transitional fossil that carried some of the same bone structure types that a modern human has, and it also some of the strength, some of the same features of an ape or a chimpanzee. So she was able to walk upright, but also she was able to climb trees. She was able to hold her head upright based upon you know, the bones in her neck, the way that her, you know, legs and knees knees were shaped showed that she was able to walk as a modern person and at the same time carry the characteristics and the traits of a chimpanzee, which is crawling on all fours and climbing up trees. So that was the link. Then after that, you have other fossils like Homo habilis, and this is when you get into tool making. So you're talking about early species being able to actually manufacture tools. And this is one of the things that you'll be able to see on the tour as well. When we go back, we go to a place called Kari and Ducey, which many people don't travel to, but this was actually a site where there was a tool manufacturing center where thousands of stone tools were manufactured. So we're talking about one of the earliest manufacturing plants in human history of Africans actually manufacturing and making stone tools. So when people talk about, you know, these species as being apes and things of that nature, well, there has to take some type of intelligence for this species to be able to manufacture these tools based upon the need for the tool in the environment. Yeah, you know, um, you know, and I've I've been there with you. So as you're talking, I'm literally fading back to the memory. I'm remembering all those flat stones, and they just laid out there. And when you said manufacturing plant, I never thought about it that simply. But that was the ancient ancient world manufacturing plant of tool making, um, using stones to do it. And I mean, I've actually been there with you. So 
uh, what you're saying I can validate. And I mean, it's really, uh, it just kind of hit me when you said it. It, took, it drew me back. Let me ask you a question. Because it's something, and it may sound silly, so I hope everybody out there can forgive me for this. We got this very serious brother on, but I gotta—I just got to ask you this question. I noticed when you start giving the names of the different um, classifications of the beings, you keep coming up with homo this and homo that. And I, I'm just being, you know, I'm just being honest. Whenever we get into discussions with people and they say, right, you know, you homo sapien, I say, no, I ain't homo sapien. You homo sapien. I'm not homo nothing. I'm nothing but homo, like... Homo sapien, mm-hmm. homo erectus, no, no erectus, homo, no erectus, no. It's like, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm an African. I'm not homo nothing. Is there a reason why all these species is homo something? I, I, mean, I mean, it's a genuine question. I really don't know the answer to it. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. So earlier when I stated the fact that there's no such thing as white science, there's a science that Europeans wrap their culture their language and their observation and, and, and understanding of their surroundings around. And this is the same thing that you'll see with this terminology that's being used. So we, when you look at any uh, scientific study, modern scientific study today, and we do it now, it's based in two languages, Latin uh, and Greek. So the Europeans go back to Latin and Greek terms to define uh, what they call, you know, scientific understandings. And it's the same thing with, you know, anthropology, anthropos is coming from the Greek word, uh, which means man or human. And then when you go to the Latin, the word homo is a word that means man and let so when people say homo sapien sapien means wise so intention is saying that this was the wise man or the intelligent man in that classification of that species type but this is something that we have to change because we can't allow the european who is the youngest person on the planet to define the oldest man on the planet europeans today many of them speak english they speak uh french they speak german they speak various european languages but they always go back to their classical language languages like latin and greek to define these terms just like today when you look at the most popular term on the planet that everybody's accepted right now coronavirus right coronavirus corona is coming from uh the latin word which means or the greek word which means crown Mm. all right virus another word that's coming from the latin or the greek which means venomous or poisonous so they're using these terms even interchangeably today and the rest of the world accepts their language their terminology as the standard Mm. or the viewpoint for that particular field of study and all of this really stems from one person, uh, Carl Linnaeus, who was a European, who was a uh, botanist. He actually created a lot of these terms to classify uh, different things based upon uh, the study that or the observation or viewpoint that he gave at the time. And he tells you this in his work. He tells you that he created a new science. Now, once again, he's not creating the science. He's putting his European understanding on that particular science, and then everybody else accepts it. So when they view it, they view it from a European worldview, a European viewpoint. And they interchange it. So when you talk about homo, in Latin, homo means man. In Greek, homo means same. So there's an interchanging of these terms here where you have homo on one end in one language, which means one thing, and then they interchange it with another term, sapien, which means wise, but then they call the study anthropology, which goes back so, to the Greek language. So let me ask this question, and I'm not going to beat the dead horse, because I think that was, first of all, let me just say that's an excellent answer. 
Cuomo means wise man. And I guess I don't know that it might be more rhetorical than anything, but how does all of a sudden it relate to some behavior that's disgusting, which, like, literally, I refuse to anybody call me any homo anything. I'm not a homo sapien or any of that stuff. And I'm trying to figure out how does it go from wise man to gay and, 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 and perversion? Like, how do we get here? Once again, you have you have Europeans who are using terms that across multiple languages have different meanings. So from the Greek perspective, homo means the same. So when we look at homosexuality, where does homosexuality originate from? Which culture does it originate from? Greeks. So right. when, under the European understanding of this practice, they're going back to a language that exhibited that behavior. This is why it's important for us to change the terms and the language that we use to define these things because language is an identification of your culture. So when you use someone so else's it, language to define, go ahead. Uh, so what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that to some degree, since it meant man and same, on some level, maybe in the European or at least the European that created this term and started using it, the ideal man is a homosexual. And so to them, when they say man, they're also saying homosexual. And so that's how it comes out in today's world. Is, is, is that a fair assessment? I mean, looking at the European understanding, that could be a very fair assessment. I mean, it could be, you know, why they chose to classify using that term. But this is why, you know, we have to reclassify these things from our perspective and our understanding. Our ancestors who created the world's first written script, the world's first language, gave us enough terminology to use to classify any scientific <laughs> term that's in existence. So we can use terms like remetch, which our ancestors used to to define people or, or, or humanity, we can use that versus the term homo. If you wanted to say just man or woman, you know, we can use various terms to do that. But we have to redefine these terms across the board. All of these terms are based in Greco-Roman uh, language. So you talk about paleontology, anthropology, zoology, biology, uh, all of these different studies, archaeology, all of these different studies and terms are based in their languages to define the sciences that we're dealing with. Fantastic, fantastic. This this is great work. Um, uh, you're teaching us a lot here, so this, this, this is the kind of wisdom we get uh, going on the tour. Now, tell us a little bit uh, about... Um, I, I, I'm going to do this, and then I want to ask you if it's okay, because I want you to drop this on this program, because it was heavy when you hit me with it. I was like, wow, I don't do religion that much, but when you hit me with it, I was like, whoa, I don't know. I've never heard this before. So before we go there, though, this kind of information that you're getting, do you do any type of lectures? I know that Baba Kwesi, Master Teacher, Astro Kwesi, and Mama Kwesi, on their Kim and Know Thyself tour to Kemet every year, they always do lectures two or three lectures while we're on the tour so that you can, you know, learn about the places that you're going. Do you do anything comparable to that uh, on your tour? Yeah, so, so that, that's the educational aspect of going on a tour. And anyone, as you say to anyone who's been on uh, Bob Ashraquazi and Omer Raquazi's tours, know the strenuous educational program. Um, and there's lectures almost every day, uh, almost every night in the hotel. And there's also lectures on the sites when you actually go to the various places. So we also <clears throat> give, you know, educational lectures based around what you're seeing while we're there throughout the day. And then also inside of the hotels, we try to give educational lectures so that you can walk away with a, a very good understanding and experience and be able to build upon what you learn while you're there. 
Okay, 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 fantastic. Now let me ask you this. Um, and I've seen some of your lectures, so for anybody out there listening, uh, the brother has lectures. We'll let you give that information. Matter of fact, um, just just before we, because this, this time is going very fast, before we run out of time, can you give people information if they're interested in going on the Kui Land Productions tour to East Africa, October 7th through uh, October 23rd? Can you give them the information where to reach out to you also if they want to get any of your products or former lectures that you've done in the past? Definitely. If, you, if you're interested in traveling with us uh, on this year's tour, um, the money to travel on the tour uh, will be due by July 1st. And you can go to cooleyland.com slash tours. That's K-H-U-I-L-A-N-D.com slash tours, where you can read on the details of the tour, everything that's included. Uh, all of the meals, all of your airfare, all of your travel to the various countries while you're there, everything that's included. And you can register right there on the website. And once we receive your registration, uh, you'll be able to uh, be approved to travel with us. And again, that's cooleyland.com slash tours. And uh, right now, we're projected uh, to be uh, leaving out on October the 7th and returning on October 23rd. And we'll be flying out of JFK Airport in New, in New York on Kenya Airways. Okay. Fantastic. So what about if anybody's interested in getting any of your lectures? If you want to order the lectures, uh, you can also go on our website, cooleyland.com. Uh, right now we have... Uh, one of, my, one of my more popular lectures, Black Greeks, White Masters. This is a lecture that deals with, you know, the history and uh, the origin of Black uh, Greek fraternities. It's, really, it's hard for me to say Black and Greek in the same sentence, but because uh, to me it's a hostile moron. But uh, for those of you who know about the fraternities and sororities in the various colleges and universities, we go deep into understanding how they were formed and why African people should not be participating in or joining a Greek organization. You know, there's nothing wrong with the fraternity or sorority if it's based in African values, African culture, but to have a, a foundation based around Greek culture is something that, that, that we show uh, African people should not be participating in in this work. Uh, we also are currently producing a, an updated version of a, a lecture uh, called When Everything Was Black. This is dealing with some of the things that you've heard today and going even deeper into the origins of humanity and uh, the culture that African people took around the world prior to any existence of any European or Asian. Fantastic, fantastic. Do you also have the one on Sudan? Uh, we do. We do have a lecture on Sudan. Uh, you can find it on our website. Uh, so this is deal called Sudan from Tasseti to Meroe. And uh, this is dealing with, uh, you know, research in primarily in Sudan. Uh, I had the, the privilege of traveling there back in 2016 with the ancestor now, uh, Renoko Rashidi. Uh, so, you know, that, Lecture primarily comes from, you know, study of that tour there, and also tying it to the various studies uh, during my travels to ancient Kemet, and tying those two together. So you can also find it on our website, uh, Sudan from Tasseti to Meroway. Okay, fantastic, beautiful. Now I, I want to tr transition to something, and, and, if, and if you don't want to do this, I, then I don't want to do it now because I don't want to. I, I heard this from you first. And I don't want to break it here if you want to, you know, uh, save it for some place to do the explosion. But if so, uh, if you if you did, because, you know, we would have this and we give you a copy of it so you'd have it. So we can always say, hey, this is the first brother to break this information. Or at least the first one I had heard break it down the way you did. But what about that biblical verse where you talked about the fruit? Is that something you want to talk about now or you want to hold that? Oh, we know we can talk about it now. Uh, 
You're talking about the the fig tree. Yeah, and let, and let me just let me just drop this to tell people why it hit me, and then I want you to go ahead and break it down for them. You know, I never really paid much attention. Um, not you know, I'm, I'm an African centered, so I don't really deal with the Bible much. <clears throat> I know enough of it to you know talk to somebody, but um. You know, we always just see, you know, Adam and Eve and the tree of life and the apple. And I never, ever thought anything about that, never even thought about it, until this brother brought up something, and I went and looked it up and said, oh, you got to be kidding me. So go ahead and break that part down to me so that our listeners can get this uh, good wisdom. All right, so in dealing with, first, before we even get to the, you know, the, the biblical verse, what this is talked about, I want to give people a background of understanding why this is even relevant. Um, so when we look at the understanding of, of the world and the origins of humanity, there are primarily two fields of study that people subscribe to, either monogenism or polygenism. Monogenism is a belief that all people came from a single uh, source or a single pair. Polygenism is a belief that Everyone came from different sources. All right, so when we look at, from a monogenism standpoint, what African cultures can we look back at which believe that there was one source that created all of humanity? Well, right there in Kenya, if you go back to the Kikuyu or even the Maasai, there is this mountain in Kenya called Mount Kirinyaga. And this is actually where Kenya gets its name from. Uh, when the Europeans came in and they heard this, they called it Kenya. But the original name is Kirinyaga. And it means the one with the ostrich or the mountain of brightness. So because this mountain has snow caps on it, our ancestors looked at it and it, they said it was familiar to them as an ostrich. Okay, with the black feathers and then the white, uh, the white feathers on the ostrich. On this mountain, our ancestors believed that the god Ingai, who was the monolithic supreme god, was the creator of the universe and was also the creator of man and woman. Okay, he had a son and a daughter, Kikuyu and Mumbi. And then they went on to produce children, which went on to populate the rest of the, uh, of the world. Now, according to the Maasai's version of this creation story, Ingai used a tree, a special tree, to create many of the other ethnic groups or all of the ethnic groups around Kenya. In the Kikuyu language, this tree was called Mogomo, and it's essentially a fig tree. So in the Maasai creation story, they believe that Ingai took the wood from the fig tree and created them and gave them a staff because they were meant to be pastoralists. And it goes on to say that Inkai gave the Kikuyu a hoe so that they could become agriculturalists. And the Kamba, who were also hunters and craftsmen, they said that Inkai gave them a bow and an arrow. All created using the wood from this tree. So across Kenya, this tree called the Mugomo or the fig tree is a sacred tree amongst those people. And we look at European colonization as it came in with the British in Kenya. One of the first things that they did to destroy the spirit of the Kikuyu people and the other Africans in this region if they started to destroy these trees because they saw the connection, the spiritual connection that our ancestors had with this tree, because they looked at this tree as being a connection to Inca and also a connection to their ancestors. So the Europeans demonized this tree when they came in, and they also started to cut many of these trees down as a way of trying to weaken the Kikuyu. But when I went to Kenya and I learned about this tree, and then I went to Uganda. And when I was in Uganda, and I know I'm telling a long story, we're gonna to get to the part, the biblical part of this. When I went to Uganda, 
<coughs> speaking to one of the guards at the Kasubi tombs in Uganda. And this is where, you know, the Kabakas or the kings of Uganda are buried. And the brother was talking about a cloth called the bark cloth. And in Uganda, they use this bark cloth for clothing. They use it for many different things, but they make their own clothes from the bark of this tree. And this tree, the same tree that you see in, in uh, Kenya and even in Tanzania, this fig tree also in Uganda is a very special and spiritual tree that they use as a source of life, okay? We're talking about the foundation of these people being able to clothe themselves, protect themselves uh, in nature. They're taking from this tree and they're creating what they need from this tree. So again, like in Kenya, when the, the British came into Uganda, they demonized this tree and they told the Ugandans that this tree was evil. And they forced them to stop making their clothes from this tree and instead pick cotton for them and in turn mm -hmm. ship that cotton off to Europe where clothes were created and then send those clothes back to Africa for the Ugandans to then purchase those clothes, which totally destroyed their ecosystem uh, and their natural way of functioning off of this tree. They made them become dependent upon the Europeans. So there was a demonization of the fig tree all across East Africa. Now, when we go and we look at the Bible, and for those of us who can understand, you know, much of the Bible uh, is based around, you know, not only mythology, but a cultural demonization of Africa. There are various parts in the Old Testament of the Bible that demonize Africa. When we can talk about the Ham story, you know, we can talk about Moses and the uh, the Midianites and the genocide that took place there. But when we go back to Genesis, and as Brother Gina stated, and we look back at Genesis chapter 3, many people believe that the tree that Adam and Eve ate from was the apple tree. And this is because the Romans came in during that time and they created this idea that it was an apple tree based upon their paintings and their overlay of their understanding on top of the religion. But if you go back and actually read this chapter in these verses, you can go back to chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. When it talks about this, it's in verse 6 it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to their eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of his fruit and ate it and also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So if you remember when the serpent or as the Bible classifies as Satan was speaking to Eve, he was telling her that this tree is not a tree that will make you die. It's a tree that will make you be able to see from good and evil, and then you'll be just like God, or you'll be a God just like God. When it goes on in the next verse, and it says both of their eyes were open, and they were able to realize that they were naked, once they realized they were naked, they sewed fig leaves over their naked part. So if this was an apple tree, why would they take a fig leaf instead of a apple leaf. They took the fig leaf because you can read between the lines. They were taking the leaf of the tree that they were close to at the time, which is the fruit that they ate from. If you go back and look at some old European paintings, before they started painting this as a apple tree, you can find paintings with the fig tree right there. So mm. the person who's writing this story the same way that the Europeans demonized this tree when they came into Africa, they were demonizing this tree as an evil tree, even in the, in the beginning stories in the Bible. 
Mm. That's some people may say, you know, that that's looking too deep into it. But when I read the Old Testament, I see a demonization of African culture, and even a theft of African culture all throughout the Old Testament. So, so people to turn away from the the, the source of spirituality and spiritual thinking and spiritual practices, you have to then hide, cover up, and demonize those things that those people found sacred. And, and let me, that's just an let example me just jump right in here. A, a sacred tree. Yep. Let me jump right in here because for, for that story, what, what stood out to me and just made it simple for me was if you're at an apple tree, then you pick up some apple leaves. But if you're at a fig tree, then you pick up the fig leaves. And as far as I know, I don't know any place that has apples growing next to figs. I know that figs grow in Africa. Um, do apples grow next to figs? I mean, are you familiar anywhere in Africa that apple trees grow next to fig trees? Well, I can't say whether somebody planted, planted an apple tree next to a fig tree, but naturally, Apples are not even indigenous to Africa. Apples are indigenous to Asia. So, so then that's, again, that's good enough for me right there. For me, that stops the argument. Right. So if they picked up fig leaves, they're in Africa. And they're at a fig tree. Which meant, even in the Bible, whether you know, no matter how you feel about it, right then and there, it puts you in Africa because figs, and we're going back to the beginning of the time, so where is it indigenous to Africa? So right in the beginning of Genesis, it puts you right there in Africa. And then, of course, you gave us the backdrop on it and everything like that. But I thought that that was so important because this is one we don't have to debate or argue with people because this is not even going against the Bible. All we're saying is the Bible did not say it was an apple tree. If we read it properly, it's a fig tree. If it's a fig tree, then if you believe in the Bible and you're a Christian, the Garden of Eden is in Africa. And Adam and Eve are African people. And their names probably wasn't Adam and Eve. But nevertheless, if you go with that name, Either way you look at it, um, you're talking about the African continent, which I like the way you strung it to relevant history, and it goes right back directly to the culture they're going to go to. So if you are a Christian, even a Christian, this is a tour you'd want to come on. Why? Because now you go closer to the Bible and the understanding in the Bible, you want to see that fig tree and, and see what this is all about. So... <clears throat> Um, we only got a few minutes left, brother. I, first, I, there's a lot of wisdom that you dropped on us today. Uh, give your information again where people can find this, and then I'll let you, you know, wrap up with the last five minutes or so and say whatever you want to say to people, you know, just to, to, to inspire our people to get back into this knowledge and travel back to Africa and, and, and find ourselves. All right, all right. So just to build on what you just said, I, I want to add another point on to what you were just saying about the correlation uh, between the Bible and Africa. One of the things that you see throughout the Bible is you always see Africa being mentioned as a place that people are trying to get to. Okay, you had Abraham traveling into Africa. You had Jesus traveling into Africa. You had Moses in Africa. And when you talk about the land of milk and honey, okay, this land that the Hebrews always were trying to get to that was promised to them, so-called promised to them. Well, we look at the one place on the planet where you have an abundance of everything that you need to survive in this world. That is on the African continent. So for all of us who may have a self-hatred for Africa or may have a, a, a some type of stain on our mind because of what Europeans have told us about the African continent. When you go back to the Kui land or Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, you're going back to the place that has an abundance of everything that Europeans rush to go to, whether it's on vacation, exploration, for whatever reason, or even theft. They rush to go back to this place because they know the value that is there from the lakes, the fruit, the animals, everything that's on the continent and everything that's in these locations. You won't even be able to experience this anywhere else in the world. So that's why we encourage you to come on this tour and see this for yourself, 
see the beauty of not only these three places, but the people in these places and build a connection with the people, our brothers and sisters on the continent. And you can visit our website, cooeyland.com, and you can go to the tours page, register for our tour. Registrations will be open until July 1st. We'll be traveling there on a 17-day cultural and educational tour and experience. Well, brother, this has been, uh, I know that it's been quite enlightening. We're going to get our statistics and see where people have been listening from. We've had some people uh, listening in from Kenya in the past, so I know if we have any of our Kenyan brothers and sisters that are listening, I know they've really enjoyed hearing this, and our Ugandan brothers and sisters as well. As long with all of our brothers and sisters here in the U.S., U.K., South America, this is the kind of programming that our people are looking for, you know, where, where, where you know, the sky's the limit to the knowledge and information. Uh, and, and what you just got today, brothers and sisters, you know, I've been knowing this brother for some time, it's just a little inkling of the vast amount and wealth of knowledge and information this brother has. He's so impressive. And this is just like one lane of the many different Renaissance man capacities and capabilities our brother has, and he loves to come and share them with us. So we're going to have you back on the program. I'm not even going to ask you. I'm, it's a demand. The people are demanding it, so I'm going to have to demand that we can get you back on the program uh, to not only push the tour, but to give us some more of this great wisdom sometime in the future, my brother. It's not decided. I'll be before the age. And thank you for just giving me the opportunity to speak. All right, brother Will. Good seeing you. Uh, and we'll talk soon. And we look forward to hearing you from the next time, my brother. A BB for ODA. A BB for ODA. All right. So for the brothers and sisters out there, a BB for ODA means black liberation. That's a term we got from um, uh, Baba Cambone, uh, 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 the son. Out in Ghana, we said, look, we need a word. I forget who asked him. I think it was Baba Rudy. Uh, somebody uh, asked him, said, look, we need a word that means black liberation, but we need it in, in an African language, and I think it's tree, tree. I believe it's tree, but I know it's Ghanaian. A BB means black. Uh, Fahodier means liberation. So a BB Fahodier, black liberation, that's a term we use. As a salutation and a greeting, black liberation, that's what it's all about. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, brothers and sisters. I think uh, I know I enjoyed it. I always enjoy hearing this wealth of wisdom, and it took us through, you know, some of the things that I think we, we, we need to talk more about, history, culture, the development of of, of uh, people on this planet, some of the terminology that we use that we haven't taken control of. Being the oldest people on the planet, I think we'd be the people in the best position and condition to determine the language system to describe the oldest people on the planet, which is us, uh, and also... Just a fantastic tour, man. This is something you want to go on. If you got the money or if you're going to have the money, $39.99, that's $4,000. That's for the flight, for the hotels, uh, for your trips to the different countries. This is something that you want to come on. We're talking about Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, 17-day East African tour, cultural tour, educational tour, uh, something you're going to enjoy, the clothing, the food. Uh, the celebration, the, the knowledge, the wisdom, the animals, just everything. It's a tour that you really want to come on. I plan to be there this year. Uh, I'd like to see you there as well, and you will have a trip of a lifetime. That's kuiland.com, K-H-U-I-L-A-N-D.com, and then you go forward flash tour. So with that, brothers and sisters, thank you for tuning in. We look forward to talking to you and seeing you again next week. I dare not speak without first asking for permission from the elders. I also humble myself at the honorable mention of those who have fought and or died for the liberation of African people, whether on the continent or in the diaspora. Realizing that at this present moment in time, we need them more than we ever have before. And I am not ashamed of the contributions that they have made Listen to WSYP LP 95.1 Sankofa Revolutionary Radio. If you are not ashamed of what they have done for you, then call on them. Muhammad, Malcolm X, Nat Turner, I say, I say, I say.